0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash gift. This this, um, particular series, and we called it Most Tatted. because what I wanted to do is I, I have friends and different people who we get these, there's like these phrases that most people get tattooed, right? So we walked talked about what is Philippians 4.13 and went all through Philippians 4 and then we realized like, oh, it's not exactly what people, we went through Jeremiah 29.11 and we broke down Jeremiah 29 and it's like, oh, wait a second, this is a little different. And then we went through John 3.16 and broke it down through the lens of John 3 and Nicodemus and you're like, oh, this makes a little bit different more. And the goal is, is we take these passages that all Christians know and a lot get tattooed. <laughs> we take these passages and these scriptures and we start to understand their true meaning. And so today, um, I felt really strongly on this weeks ago, and it was funny because I, I had just randomly, I kind of read through the Bible uh, chronologically in a in, me and my wife, we read two chapters of four quadrants a couple times a week. There's a few people in the room who study the Bible the same way. And so I was just naturally going through Psalms 23, and literally I read it, and I got the whole download for this in like three minutes. I was like, man, that was easy. Thank you, Lord. A lot of the times it's like, shut the war room closet and get four hours of prayer in. <laughs> just kidding. That's, that's not me as well. Oh, <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, But what I want to talk about today is Psalms 23, right? It's most tatted, Psalms 23, and really around this phrase, healthy theological expectations for a sustainable walk with Christ. Psalms 23, healthy theological expectations for a sustainable walk with Christ. What do I mean by this? I think a lot of the times what we do is we have this moment of conversion where there's euphoria, celebration, and all of these things where it's like, wow, I've discovered something I never thought I would experience before. And then what happens, reality sets in because we follow literally a Lord and Savior who died and was buried and then resurrected. And part of the sanctification process is the dying to self, the burying of that sinful flesh and desire in like, to be honest, funeral type elements and then a resurrection of our true selves from that place. But once again, I think a lot of the times, healthy theological expectation is the realizing, and I love this, I've been reading recently, uh, we're going to be doing something in the fall here called Practicing the Way, that me and my wife will be leading out, but they call the development the J-curve. And the J-curve, if you know how a J is, it goes up, it goes down, and then it goes up. And it's, it's funny because he's been quoting it a few times and I'm like, man, I love that so much because the J curve of spiritual development in the walk with Christ is a lot of the times it's this, whoa, 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 is this really what it is? And then it's like after a few years or months or usually it's years, it's like, whoa, actually this is good. But then we reach a point maybe where we're challenged again in some type of ideology or some type of weakness that God's trying to maybe turn into his strength or something God's challenging us to overcome. And then what happens? The J happens again. Where it's like, okay, God, awareness, revelation, oh, this is terrible. And then boom, other side. And what I want to challenge us on today is I think this healthy theological expectation for a sustainable walk with Christ is not this linear progression of spiritual maturity and health. And what I mean by that is I know Christians who followed God for 15 years and have about 15 minutes of growth. Where we've said the prayer and we've showed up to church, but the hard work of actually doing it is not being done. I heard this uh, analogy this week. You know, you can show up in Home Depot every single week and go in the paint aisle. And talk to everybody and pick out the best colors and get all of the supplies. But if you don't buy it, take it home and do it, then nothing's changing. And I think this is, this is the problem with the Western Christianity aspect is we've thought, listen, if I show up, talk about it, purchase a couple things and plan it out right. But if I don't go home and do it, We've got to be people who are willing to go home and do it and really what this is from is this idea that we have to have a healthy expectation of what hard work following God looks like so that we can have a sustainable walk with Him. And Psalms 23 is the most healthy theological expectation I think we could all rally around today. Because if you read the chapter, there's promise but there's also pain. There's suffering, but there's also joy. There's comfort, but there's definitely uncomfortable. And it's a great place to start. And really what I want to do today is is talk about the fact that I think a lot of us, we we go through one thing, and then that one thing redefines our very existence to where it's hard to even get back on track with following God. A great example of this is for some of us... uh, You know, I'll never forget the first time Justin went in the ocean, he got stung by a stingray with me. And it's funny because I was like, oh, he probably stepped on glass. And it's like, oh, no, I've got barbs in my leg. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say, right, is Justin had to make a choice, though. Will I go in the ocean ever again or will I use one experience in which I'll no longer go in the ocean? And I want to say this to you today that I think a lot of us, we maybe have had experiences one time that God has challenged us, right? To, hey, you went through something difficult, press in again. And it's so hard to be like, yeah, but you didn't really make it easier. It almost feels like you made it worse. But God's challenging us today to step in again and to step in again and to step in again. You know, I I don't know why I'm thinking of this story on the spot. It's not in my notes, but I just, it's just how the Lord does things. I had a guy who lived with me for a lot of time. He uh, owned a fox. Now Some of you guys are like, oh, how do you own a fox? That's what happens when you live in the Midwest. You can just own anything. You can have it, you know. So he, he owned a grade fox, and that thing pooped, peed, and chewed everything in my house. It was not worth it. Um, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, 220 bucks a month for a buddy to live with you. And then you're like, wait a second. I spend $200 a month just on cleaning supplies, and my, my couch not getting destroyed. I'm losing money in this for a dog that I don't even want. It's not even a dog. It's a feral animal. <laughs> But I'll never forget this one day he came in, Bobby did, and he was, he was white in the face. And I looked at him. He was terrified. I looked at him. I said, what, what happened? He said, well, I was letting Izzy out outside and she was running around and she came up sprinting, beeline. I've never seen her running so fast right towards me. And as I looked behind her, about 15 feet behind her, was, was a coyote, massive coyote chasing her, trying to attack her. And they're both running right at me now. My ravine is not—it's not like from here to the back doors. It's like from here to the fourth row. Where comes out coyote? Here, dog runs by. He looks up, and from me to the fourth row, there's a coyote running right at him. And he's like, I didn't even have time to think. That thing got close enough, and I just punted it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I was like, oh, I'm like looking at him. I'm like, I now I'm white in the face, like. That thing gonna come back later and eat all of us? It's in Michigan, if you're a coyote, you're like, you're not skinny, you better be like you're a horse. It's like it's cold, it's you gotta get through everything. But I'll never forget. Bobby's like, man, I just punted that thing. But I felt like maybe the reason that I was saying that is. You know, I feel like maybe today that some of us are running from things and the, and the Lord's maybe wanted to whisper to you, like, hey, when you have a healthy expectation, when you have a healthy view of me, like, I protect you. When you run to me, I, I'll take care of it. <laughs> but today, if you're running from something and you're wondering, you know, when or if or how you're going to get through it, get over it, get around it or whatever it is, I pray you have that image in mind. Let's read Psalms 23 today together. Actually, before we do, Romans 10, 11 and Isaiah 45, 17. This is a cross-reference. Romans 10, 11 says, He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Now, that's NASB 1995. That's like my personal favorite. But however, if you cross-reference the translations, it says that he who believes in Him will not be put in. To shame. So let's, let's actually use both definitions today. Today, I pray that you realize that if you believe in him, you won't be disappointed and you won't be put to shame. Will you be able to hold on long enough and be faithful to actually see the other side of not being disappointed and not feeling shame? Because it doesn't say that you're not going to sense these things. It's just saying you're not going to live in those things. And so as we get into Psalms 23 today, I want us to be looking through that lens of he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He who believes in him will not be put to shame. But at the same time, those may be feelings that we will feel, but it's not realities that we will live in eternally. Right? Psalms 23, let's read it. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to invite you to close your eyes as I read this over us again with a mindful presentness to just receive this passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever What I want to talk about today Is seven areas of perspective From Psalms 23 And what I'm really trying to do Is I'm going to break Psalms 23 down As simplified But also mildly complex But simplified Really for us to understand That this passage of scripture And the importance and symbolism of it As it's memorized and known In popular Christian culture Is important For healthy expectations for sustainability. So with that, seven areas of perspective from Psalms 23. The first one, if the Lord's your shepherd, get ready for your wants to be redefined. If the Lord is your shepherd, get ready for your wants to be redefined. We want God to be the shepherd, but our wants to not be sanctified. You know, I think, uh, right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let that sink in. It's like, I think if we all sat here today and we're like, okay, hold on, I don't want my want, like, I, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's like, we literally live in a culture where we are bombarded with advertising and agendas that try to contort and change our wants constantly. To shift us into this, this behavioral pattern in which all we do is want, 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 want. That's why I love, I've been speaking it a lot recently, that godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it mean to be content in God? To not be wanting all the time based off of culture. And what I want to say to you today is this, is I believe in my life I can assess my walk with Christ and I can say this, I am so happy I did not get what I wanted when I wanted it and allowed the process of righteousness and sanctification to redefine what my personhood wanted. And I would say this to you today, maybe there's a level of frustration in the room Of we've wanted these things and God is looking and not giving us our wants. And what he might be actually doing is reminding us that he's the shepherd, not we. That he's the one who knows what we want more than we actually know what we want. And sanctification running the course in your life is this. Allowing God to change you as a person and what you find out is what he changes about you in the personhood is actually connected to what you thought you wanted and needed. And all of a sudden those things start to change. And then here's the funny thing is when you get to that part of spiritual maturity, when you sit back and you live content within the reality that God is in control, it's such a healthy place to live. I was joking this week with somebody. I said, you know, I'm a pretty content person. The only weak spot I have is golf equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Jarrell, can I get an amen on that? <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, you grow, you grow. I remember growing up through the seasons where I just had the laundry list of wants. And then as I'm starting to encounter the person of Christ... He's starting to change me through the constant steeping of my soul in his word and spirit. My wants are being redefined. And really, it's healthy. Because the shepherd is determining what I want. And I want to challenge you today, right? The first thing is that here's the deal is that a lot of us, we want God to be our shepherd, but we don't want our wants to change. And I want to encourage you, if you want God to be your shepherd, hold the wants openly. And I would say this, this is going to be a little bit pointed, but you can receive it. Typically, your wants changing is you coming to the place where even the things you hold near and dear and you want more than anything in this world, you hold them loose, trusting that it's his timing, his plan, and his perspective. So the first thing, if the Lord's your shepherd, get ready for your wants to be redefined. The second, don't pray for green pastures and then be mad when he makes you lie down in them. You know what's interesting to me is we as a culture, right, we're always looking for an always greener pasture, but we're not content with the green pasture we're in currently. And what I would say is this, is I also, I want to say it like this. We're not content with the green pasture you're in until the shepherd takes you somewhere else and forces you to lay down. What, what am I trying to say? And as I'm trying to articulate this, I want you to understand that for a lot of us, the reason we've never sensed Health as it pertains to being in a spot of being of of green pasture is because we're constantly fighting if we want to lay down or not under the shepherd's protection. And I want to challenge your reality today because I think that for some of us we're looking and we're saying, God, this isn't a green enough pasture for me. And God's like, I know, but you're gonna lie down and you you'll find out that it actually might be good for you. No, I don't want to be here. Yeah, it's okay though. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, and don't worry. You know, when we moved here and planted this church, we moved here and we didn't do anything for a year. Just existed. You know, what's interesting, even as I look at my life, the seasons of stillness and inactivity have produced in me a refined purpose and perspective. And what I would even say to you is this, is some of us, we can't have protracted seasons of inactivity, but we can build in rhythmic practice of inactivity and stillness that can allow God to teach us about the pasture he's making us lay in currently. And I think for uh, for a lot of us, the key to going into the next pasture is if you're content in the one you're in currently. Because I think a lot of people, all they're looking for is the next green pasture, the next green pasture, the next green pasture, and what they never get is contentment, and then what they never get is happiness or joy because they're never grateful for anything. They're always looking for the next thing. And I want to challenge this once again. He makes us lie down in green pastures. I love that wording. Our shepherd is one who provides for us and makes us lie down when he thinks it's good for us. How many of us love reading that? Amen, God, make me lie down in the green pastures. But what happens if you don't think the pasture's green, but he does? What happens if you're being forced to lay down in a situation and circumstance that you never thought you would have to lay down in, but God's sitting there and saying, trust my timing, trust my plan, trust my shepherd's heart. The third thing, Your soul restored comes from drinking deeply in the quiet waters of a relationship as a son and daughter. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And I want to say this to you today is I think a lot of us, right, we're looking. We're looking for God and we're saying, God, God. How how can I drink deeply of you? How can I be more aware of you? And I feel like God is challenging people today that your soul restored comes from drinking deeply of Him in the quiet and in the relational rhythms of being a child of God. And I challenge all of us today is that for some of us, we want restoration with no stillness. We need healing from noise just as much as we need to drink of the waters of God. Have you ever thought about that? You need healing from just the noise and barrage of this world just as you need a touch from Him. You know what's fascinating? Statistically, I was reading uh, a book. It's a fantastic book. It's called Beholding by Strahan Coleman. And it says this. These are statistics. Noise, noise, literally just noise by the World Health Organization causes 12,000 premature deaths per year. Just noise. 22 million cases of chronic pain and headaches. 6.5 million cases of chronic sleep disturbance. Think about that. Just being conditioned to the barrage of noise in this world literally is detrimental to your health to not have peace. Peace. Quiet and stillness. Some of us, even when I'm talking about this, we're like feeling a little bit attacked that we've never experienced God in that way of just peace, quiet and stillness. And I want to challenge you today, just as much as it's detrimental to your health physically, it's detrimental to your health spiritually. And I would ask you this question. What habits do you have in your life currently of drinking deeply in stillness drinking deeply in stillness what habits do you have because that's the thing the shepherd will lead us but beside quiet and still waters that will restore your soul but do you even know how to recognize when they're in front of you can you even be present to the reality that you need to drink from them Or are you so trained to the noise and scatterbrained that you can't even be present within the nourishment of drinking of him that would restore who you are? And I want to say this to you today is that for some of us, we're in this room and we're saying, yes, God, I want you to restore me as a son and daughter. I want you to heal me. I want you to touch me. And God says, I want you to be still. I want you to build in habits and rhythms of drinking deeply of my word and my spirit. I want you to build in relationship in which I am present in your schedule and in your mundane routine. And what you might find is just those habits and behaviors start restoring your soul more than any sermon or worship set or Sunday morning could ever do. The next thing. Before you're trusted to blaze a trail, you better have been found faithful following the well-worn paths of righteousness. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, is in Psalms 23. But I think for a lot of us, what we do is we want a fresh new path more than we want to walk the paths of righteousness consistently. That he's provided for us with a blueprint of following God as a disciple for thousands of years. And what I want to challenge us on, and I'm using challenge a lot today because I felt challenged reading this, is I think for some of us, I see so many people who want to blaze new trails with God but are not faithful in paths of righteousness that are right in front of them. I see so many people who want to do new things and and make new sounds and and, and preach new sermons and do new methods and, and ideologies and all of these things, which is not inherently bad. I believe all of us have a creative DNA inside of us from the creator, right, to create something with our lives. But I can tell you this, is I've created more from following the paths of righteousness than any trail I've tried to blaze alone. And I think for a lot of us, we're wanting to blaze new trails and God's saying, can you be faithful with the well-worn paths of righteousness for my namesake that are already established? The word that's been given to you, the community that's right in front of you, the commitments that you can make today. See, these paths of righteousness are going to lead us to the green pastures we want to be on, but we've got to choose to walk down the path to begin with. And I pray today that a lot of us were not so infatuated with new paths that we won't take the old trails that have already been instituted for decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia. A lifestyle of prayer and worship, a lifestyle of Sabbath and sacrifice, a lifestyle of being in spirit and in biblical truth. The next thing, number five... Everyone will walk through valleys of the shadow of death. It's your choice if you sit and stay longer than God's intended purpose. I love the posture, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say though I sit in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say though I, though I take a nap in the valley of the shadow of death. Though I build a house in the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. It's though I walk say this to you today because I'm not saying that we're hurrying to the other side. In some cases, God's, God's teaching us more in the valleys than we'll ever get on the mountaintops. But I will say this, is no matter how big your steps are, no matter how wide your here, whatever, I pray that you're just being faithful in the walk. And it doesn't need to be these leaps and bounds or this sprint through the valley, but it does need to be one step In front of the other of faithfulness, of rhythmically following Jesus in the day to day, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when the shadow of the valley of death feels literally like death, the feet must keep going forward. Because what the enemy wants to convince you to do is sit in that place of death, dwell on that place of death until you become dead spiritually. But I would also say this. I'm not saying don't grieve. I'm not saying don't be emotionally unaware. I'm not saying stuff it down. What I am saying is do that in a healthy way as you continue to go forward inch by inch, step by step, day by day. I would say this as well. It's easier to sit than it is to walk sometimes. And you don't have to walk with pace. Your walk can be slow. It can be inches. But don't stop in the valley Because you weren't created by God To live in the valley of the shadow of death You know for me I just um, Actually I'm not going to say it Because my mom listens to this (laughs) (laughs) But I will say I I got something of a memorial For um, you know a season in my life Where I had a lot of just crazy uh, People pass away you know, friends who had overdoses, sudden deaths with people that we just loved and knew closely, um, you know, just different. I mean, kids killed in, in drive-bys. I mean, you name it. We, I feel like we've, I walked through it in my 20s. I'm really old now. I'm 31. But, um, but it's interesting because within all of those, I can sense uh, God even whispering, you can walk slower. You know, you're so busy in a hurry to get through this difficult season. You can walk slower and feel deeper and change more. And I think for some of us, maybe we're, we're trying to get through a difficult season in which we feel the sh- valley of the shadow of death. And God saying, you know, we're looking at God and like God, shepherd, get me through this quicker. But I feel like for some of us, as long as we need to be present within the walk through it so that the work can go deep and the heart can change. As well. The next thing is this the rod of correction comes before the staff of comfort. Trust the process. You know how it says the rod and the staff, they comfort me? Those words in the Hebrew are actually two different things. And it's funny to me because I don't think anybody, I've never heard anybody actually talk about these, but the rod in the Hebrew is the word shebet. And it's a masculine noun that, that literally means a stick for punishing, fighting, ruling, or walking. It's like, I'm like, God, I'd rather that stick be for walking, not necessarily the punishment, fighting, or ruling. Right? But you know what the staff is? Is It's a Hebrew word, mashana. And it's a feminine noun that is used in a manner of comfort, meaning it is a, an instrument of comfort or support. So think about this. What is the order? The rod and then the staff. Let that frame your theological perspective for a second. The rod of punishment and correction of ruling before the staff of comfort and peace. What I want to say to you today is this, is don't get those two things confused because I think a lot of us, we want a staff of comfort more than we want a rod of correction. And I pray that we never read the Bible just from a place of God, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me, instead of God, correct any postures I have, correct any deception that I'm currently believing and walking out in. Correct, and even in some cases, punish with pain that's needed for me to change. That's a powerful prayer to pray. I was reading this week, and there was a, We were talking about it last night with me and my wife in Houston. Holiness is complete joy. And it was funny because as I was reading this, this whole chapter was about how actual holiness is is the, the... I'm hesitant to use this word because it's got way too many terms in its biblical nature. But it's a manifestation of the fullness of joy. And it's funny to me because holiness for a lot of us just sounds like an unattainable goal. But if I told you that in holiness, a life of holiness, you could have joy you never experienced and you could never fathom, how many of us would be like, okay, that might be worth the trip. And I think for a lot of us as we sit here, we look at holiness and we're like, wow, that standard seems way out there. That seems real Christian-y, super religious. But if I told you that the... The embodiment of joy is attached to the pursuit of holiness. How many of us would think differently around it? And I want to say this, holiness to me is the embracing of both the rod and the staff. Because in some cases, and I'm not saying some cases, in most cases I need the rod more than I need the staff. And I think some of us, we need a healthy awareness in which all, if all we've wanted is the comfort, then there might be something coming where God introduces something that's uncomfortable because he wants to remind you, I carry the rod and the staff. I feel a lot of the times in the church, we want the comfort and maybe once in a while the correction. But David is painting this picture here of a rod of correction, than a staff of comfort as the DNA order of our shepherd. Carrying both and the order we must understand. And the last point I have today is this. How you dwell determines where you sit, what cup you drink from, and if goodness and loving kindness will follow you. You know, that that ending of the verse I want to read because I think it's backwards. And this is the thought I want to introduce to you. I believe the ending of Psalms 23 is backwards. It's not you prepare a table in front of my enemies. My cup is overflowing. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me. It's rather, I am dwelling rhythmically in the place where my spirit and personhood can allow these things to happen and I can see them clearly happening. I dwell with God and in the house of the Lord and he handles my enemies, fills my cup, has goodness and righteousness follow me all the days of my life. I think maybe some of us were saying, God, fight my enemies. We're saying, I want... And faithfulness to follow me We're saying God I want you to fill my cup And I drink from you But we don't have any rhythmic dwelling practice in him And we want these things to be present Practices of rhythmically dwelling with God Is the very thing that allows the enemies to be defeated The cup that we drink from to be overflowing The goodness and the mercy to follow us I believe the order is out But it's also, it's it's there on purpose, but it's there for us to think deeply about. And I want to say this to you today. In Psalms 29, 11, it says, The Lord will give strength to His people, and He will bless His people with peace. But we have to understand that these things come from the rhythm of dwelling. The rhythm of being present in the still and the quiet. The rhythm of knowing his goodness and his grace, the rhythm of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the rhythm of being made to lie down in the Greek pastures, the rhythm of drinking from the still waters and seeing our soul restored, the rhythms that sometimes we overlook. Will you stand to your feet today? Typically, I write out a sermon or a uh, a prayer related to the sermon and just read it over all of us. But today, I felt once again the unction to read Psalms 23 over us as we posture ourselves by closing our eyes and being still. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you've anointed my head with oil my cup is overflowing goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever amen